All right. Well, it's great to be here this evening. And uh, Pastor Menez uh, said some things just in the announcements about me. And I know there's a lot of new people here from the last time I've been here. So I want to take a couple minutes before I get started in the sermon just to let you know who I am and a little bit about myself. And uh, my name is, as, as Pastor Menez said, uh, Brother Matthew Stuckey. And uh, I've actually known Pastor Menez since before this church started. I actually met him probably around 2009, I believe, a really long time ago. And, you know, I visited this church a couple times in the early days. And at that time, you know, there's some of the same faces that were here, but it was much smaller at that time. And then after my wife and I got married, you know, we made the decision to move here. And, you know, I'm from West Virginia, and which is very different than California. And we said, you know what, there's nothing more important than having a good church for a newly married person, to raise your kids in a church like this. And so it was probably about the toughest decision I ever made because I have great parents, I love my parents, and, and we decided to move here and be a part of this church. And, uh, you know, I was here um, when we moved here for about three and a half years, and I worked for the church. And uh, then eventually I, I told Pastor Men as my goal when I, I, before I came here that I wanted to be a missionary to the Philippines. And, you know, we came here, and then the opportunity came, and he ordained me as an evangelist, and we've been out there for basically about five years now. Now, when we actually moved here, it was right before the, it was the week of the five-year anniversary of this church. We're actually coming up on our five-year anniversary here in like two months in the Philippines, and time definitely flies by. You know, it's been about four years since I've been here, five years since my family has been here. And I want to say, I've, I've known Pastor Menes for a long time, and I mean this with all sincerity. I would not be here today, I would not be an evangelist if I had not made the decision to move here with my family. And you know what, a lot of people have made similar decisions like that, forsaking your career, forsaking everything you know, for for serving God. And you know what, you don't regret it when you do it. It's tough, you know, when you make a decision like that, you know, it's actually difficult at first, it doesn't always go smoothly, but you don't regret it when you're at a place like this. Anyway, I want to thank Pastor Jimenez and also Mrs. Jimenez for all the advice they've given to me and my wife over the years, how they've helped us in raising our kids and our marriage and, and everything, and just all the hospitality, you know, just not even just these couple weeks, but just through all of the years, we really appreciate it. And you know what? Another thing is this. A lot of people, you know, are, are still here that were here four years ago, and this was our church family. And you know what, obviously you have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And you know what, originally we were thinking about coming here for the Red Hot Preaching Conference. And I'm just being honest, I'm kind of glad it's here because I get to actually see and talk to all the members here because this was our church family. And I still look at you as family. And of course, you know, we've moved on to the Philippines and we're in a different situation, but there's always going to be a piece of our heart here in Sacramento. And you know what, I'll be honest with you, when I started the churches in the Philippines and we went there, there's a lot of things that I didn't really realize and know, and then I kind of learned via experience. And see, the name of the sermon is The Pain of a Pastor, The Pain of a Pastor. And my goal here tonight is to kind of give you an inside look at what the ministry feels like. And quite honestly, this is a very tough thing to do because if you don't experience something, it's kind of hard to relate. But my goal is to help you get an inside look so you can understand and appreciate your pastor and your pastor's wife. And realize this church 13 years ago, I mean, it started from a very small group of people. I mean, it started in a living room. I'm sure if Pastor Menes had said that his goal is that all the earth may know, I mean, others would have mocked and said, look, you're like eight people. You're a small group of people. What are you going to ever do? And yet this church has started many churches. And you know, one thing, I don't know if Pastor Menes knows this, but you know, in the Philippines, before we moved there, they knew who Pastor Menes was. The members of our church, they saw it on the news also. I mean, he was infamous 
also in the Philippines before we had actually moved out there. And literally, this church is known throughout the entire world. But what I want you to, to do tonight is get an inside look at what the ministry is like. And 2 Corinthians is really the book that speaks about the ministry. And point number one is the persecution that comes in the ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Bible reads, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Now, this is kind of a confusing thing to understand unless you get the context because Paul's saying, I'm going to kind of speak as a fool. I mean, the previous chapter, he says, don't compare yourself with other people. And then what he's going to do is compare himself to other people. And basically what's happening with Paul the Apostle is he gets kind of pushed into a corner where he does not defend himself, he's meek, and then eventually it gets to the point where you got to stand up and say, hey, okay, you want to compare... I'll compare myself to you. Now, when he says this, he's saying, I don't even necessarily know if I should do this. I'm speaking as a fool. I'm not advising you to do this, but I feel like this must be said. And I'm personally glad this is actually in the Bible that we can get this inside look of how Paul was feeling. He says, are they, the minister, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He says, I'm better than them. In labors, more abundant. He worked harder than anybody else. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. See, there you're seeing the persecution. Why? Because he labored more than anybody else. I mean, when you're doing something for God, the devil's going to try to attack you. And Paul the Apostle is doing great things for God. And then come the attacks. Of the Jews, five times received I, forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with, with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know, every time I read this, I'm getting ready for him to say, I've been shot, I've been stabbed. I've been burned alive. I mean, I've never experienced anything like this. I mean, Paul the Apostle, I mean, if there's a comparison between me and him as an evangelist, it's like he's way up here and I'm way down below. I mean, he went through a lot of persecution because he labored more than anybody else. Now, here's the thing. If you're laboring and you're working for God, you're going to get that persecution. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me give you some practical examples. Let's say, for example, you got a basketball game and one player on the other team scores 50 points. The next time you play that team, what are you going to do? Uh, you're probably going to mark them pretty closely, probably give them some hard fouls, right? You say, why? Because that person is destroying you. And the reality is when you're doing something for God, I mean, Satan's aware of it and he is going to attack you. And if you are the architect or the head of a church and you're leading it, then the devil's going to come after you. Now, look, if, if men at this church want to go in the ministry one day, I mean, that's great. You get the great blessings of life. But the reality is persecution is going to come. It's not just a bed of roses. It's not just easy. And to start a church from 13 years ago from a, a small group of people, I mean, that's a very difficult thing to do. And this church has endured a lot of persecution. Right? I mean, some of us, we reminisce about, you know, the Orlando protest, right? Which is a long, long time ago at this point. But it's just like, that was a major persecution. It made worldwide news. 
And here's the thing. You might have said at that time, Brother Stucky, I'm going through persecution at my job. I'm going through persecution from family because I'm a member of this church. But how much more if you're leading the church? How much more if you're the pastor's wife? I'm sure you did go through persecution. Look, everybody that serves God, they go through persecution. But if you're the one running the ship, it's going to be a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What Paul's saying is, everywhere I went, I went through persecution. It's not like there's a secret place on earth where you can do something for God and escape all persecution. When we went to the Philippines, I learned this pretty quickly. Just a week after I was there, I preached against the most famous Baptist in the Philippines. Now, what's different about the United States and the Philippines is false prophets are also political leaders. They're in Congress. They run for president. And you know what? I preached this sermon, and then I got threats coming back my way, and I realized, actually, maybe I need to be a little bit more careful because I'm in a new place. I mean, the pastor that I preached against, he preached against me while he was conducting a funeral. And I got the video from it that was shown to me, and I was like, wait a minute, I, I got to be kind of careful here. I'm in a new country, and maybe it doesn't work the same way. I mean, you could stand up here and preach against Joel Osteen. Nothing's going to happen to you. But, you know, there it's a little bit different. And so, you know what, persecution is going to come, whether it's Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, wherever you go. The Bible says here, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You say, Brother Saki, I've never suffered any persecution. Well, you might want to reconsider your walk with God then. Maybe you're just not that close to God. You know, it's interesting. People come to a church like this and then their family disowns them. Their friends disown them. The co-workers mock them. But here's the thing. That's not unique to you. That's everybody. I mean, when, when you start serving God, I mean, everyone's like, who is this new person? They don't like it, right? You are going to be persecuted. And this is why this is the point that people can relate to. I mean, if I were to say the pain of a pastor, probably everyone would say persecution, right? That's the first thing that comes to your mind. Quite honestly, I think it's on the bottom of the list of the pain of a pastor. But that's something we can all relate to because if you're serving God, you've gone through persecution. Go to John 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. You know, when, when you're the leader, whether it's in a church or any sort of situation, you don't really have the ability to let people know what you're personally going through. You can't, I mean, just imagine during the days of the protest, if Pastor Menes stood up here and said, let me just be honest with you right now. I mean, I am depressed. I'm miserable. I don't know if I can take this anymore. I mean, it would be a disaster, right? Or, or, or you have like a company or something and the boss says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take a couple weeks off and figure it out. I mean, it would be a disaster. And when you're the leader, you don't necessarily express your emotions because you're not really in a position where you can really do that. But I want you to realize that there is pain involved in being a pastor, whether you notice this or not. I mean, it's there. Bible says in John 15, verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you're of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. We live in a day where people say, well, if you're right, for, right with God, everybody's going to love you. Everyone's going to think positively of you. And I mean, if everybody hates you, there must be something wrong. I mean, if your Google reviews are under two, there's a problem. That's what they say, right? Because other Baptist churches, I mean, the sodomites love them. Other Baptist churches, the abortion doctors love them. So what's wrong with you, Pastor Jimenez? I mean, that's the way the world looks at it. And yet the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the Bible says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did they to the false prophets. Look, if you look at someone that's spoken well of by everybody in the world, you better believe there's something wrong with him. Right? Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I was in Guyana on a mini missions trip many years ago. This church actually sponsored it. And, you know, it, it's uh, partially Christian and partially Hindu because there's a lot of people from India is the descent there in Guyana. And contrary to popular belief, Guyana is not in Africa. It's in South America. It's not Ghana. It's Guyana. Okay. But when I was there, you know, when I ran into Hindus, Hindus sometimes mentioned to me pastors they liked. You know, the name that came up, they said, you know what, I, you know, I'm not a fan of Christianity, but the one pastor I really like is Joel Osteen. I heard that several times. I heard Joel Osteen preaching. I, listen, I, I heard Hindus listening to Joel Osteen preach. And the other name that came up was T.D. Snakes or T.D. Jakes. <laughs> and I would just say, well, there's something wrong then. Because I don't remember anybody saying, man, I really love Pastor Jimenez. I mean, I'm a Hindu, but I love Pastor Jimenez, Right. You don't hear that. You say, why? Because, you know what, when the world's speaking well of you, it's because you're not preaching against the world. But if you preach against the world and the sin of the world, the world's going to attack you. The world is going to hate you. What's sad is when saved people, they link up with the world. What takes place in? Well, then you become the enemy of God. Right? The Bible says that in James, that if you link up with the world, you are now at enmity with God. You are God's enemy. Right? Look, if you are serving God, you're going to be persecuted. Look, so don't second guess yourself if you're going through persecution in life. It's a battle. The Bible never says that when you get saved, everything's going to be easy now. And I think that's what people kind of think. They get saved and they think everything's going to be easy. I mean, how often do you see new people at church? They're excited. They're zealous. Two months later, they're not here. I'm not saying they're bad people. There's been a lot of great people that came to this church for a few months and they, they wanted to serve God. But once the persecution came, they left. Why? Because they couldn't take it. Because it's hard. Realize this. The persecution on this level is only heightened if you're running a church like Verity Baptist Church. All of us have gone through persecution that are serving God, but it's to another level when you're a pastor. But quite honestly, the persecution is not the worst part. Point number two is pressure. Point number two is pressure. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Beside those things that are without, the persecution from without, the things from people that are enemies of the church against the church, 
Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, the pressure of running the churches, the difficulties about running the churches. See, the Bible says the care of all the churches. And when you're the one leading like Paul the Apostle, there is a daily care that comes upon you. Right. You know, one example I want to give you is think about if you work at a company, you know, your shift starts at eight in the morning, you show up, 5 p.m. goes, comes and then you go home and you get to relax and you don't have to think about the job. You know, it, it doesn't work that way in the ministry. And I'm sure that there's a lot of business owners in this room and they probably tell you, I would love to come home at 5 p.m. and I'm done and I don't have to worry about it, but I got to worry about taxes and regulations and new clients and not getting paid for the jobs I've done and that call at 8.30 at night. It's like, I just want to have dinner with my family and that call comes at 8.30 at night. I'm sure business owners can relate to what I'm saying because when you go to a company and then you just get to go home and that's it, you don't have that added stress and pressure that's 24-7. Here's the reality. If you're the pastor and you're the pastor's wife, you're never off the clock. It's 24-7. Now, maybe you never personally, you know, try to get in touch with Pastor Menez, you know, off hours, but there are people that do. And here's the thing. I'm not preaching against that because people have needs. I mean, if you're running a church, it's like there's people that have needs, and that's just part of the job. You have to care and love the people. And sometimes that means when it's unexpected in your day off or your time off, you've got something that you have to deal with. And the Bible says, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. There is a daily pressure and responsibility that is there. Go in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me give you some basic examples of the daily care that can come up. The attendance. You know, it's probably not a big deal to you whether there's 210 or 220 on a Sunday morning. You probably don't really even notice. I mean, if somebody's out of church, you probably just didn't even notice it. I can tell you this, though. You know, I've given weekly reports to Pastor Menace since we moved to the Philippines. And when the attendance is low, it's like, man, I really don't want to type this up and send it. It's like, I pay attention. There's something in the Philippines called Filipino time which means it's already time for church and there's like nobody there. And then while you're preaching, people are coming from every direction, right? So I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I'm used to distractions during preaching, okay? (laughs) But, you know, it it, it bothers you because you want your church to grow. You want to reach new people. You want to have more soul winners. And when the attendance is low, it gets you down. And it could be because people are sick. It could be they're not available. But I can tell you this, you don't really think about it as a member, But you think about it when you're the one leading because it's part of your responsibility and it might not be your fault, but it's still something that comes upon you all the time. How about the number of people soul winning? I mean, I would say the number of people soul winning is a more important number to a church like ours. How many people are going out? You know, on Saturday, over 100 people. But, you know, if you have a low day soul winning, it bothers you. And you see people that don't go and you wonder, is something wrong? Maybe they're backsliding. Maybe there's a problem. Do I need to get in touch with them? These are the things that you probably don't think about. And things that, honestly, I didn't really think about even when I was on staff here. But when you're running a church, these things are on your mind all the time. Number of visitors, right? I mean, you have a special day like this and you make a special card. And 279 is a big attendance. 
I mean, that's a great attendance. You know, a lot of first-time visitors, and praise the Lord for that. But what if we had done all the work here, and on Saturdays, people are putting these in the, in the cars, and we were actually, my wife and I, at Walmart, we saw a lot of these on cars on Saturday afternoon. But what if we came here, and there's like 200 people? It would be a big letdown. You would feel like, man, it was a waste of time. It was a waste of energy. As a member, you don't necessarily think about that, but when you're the one leading, you do. How about number of people getting baptized? You know, it is hard. We get a lot of people saved in the Philippines. I wish I could say half of them get baptized, but they don't. It's hard. It's hard to get new people to come in here and get baptized and start serving God. These are things that you don't necessarily think about. Look, there's always people at a church this size that are backsliding. I don't know who you are in this room, but there are people that are backsliding right now. But I would say this, I bet your pastor and your pastor's wife know. I bet they've had conversations at 1030 at night saying, what can we do? Should we take them out to dinner? Should should I preach a sermon? You know, what could I talk about? How can we help in this situation? It's something that's on their mind daily, even though it's probably not in your mind daily, right? But even more so is the fact that you get emotionally invested in your church members as a pastor. Notice this story in 2 Kings 5, verse 20. It's a very famous story with Naaman, Gehazi, and Elisha when Naaman gets cured of leprosy. And notice what it says here in verse 20. 2 Kings 5, verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, the Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Elisha refused to accept, you know, basically money from Naaman, and Gehazi gets covetous. Gehazi gets a little bit greedy. And it says here in verse 21, So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Gehazi is just flat out telling a lie. Verse 23, And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. When he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house and he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, whence comest thou Gehazi? Where'd you come from? And he said, thy servant went no whither. And see, you know, whenever you commit sin and do wrong, isn't it true you got to tell a lot of lies to cover it up? I mean, it might start as something small, but then there's lie after lie after lie, and that's what we're seeing in the story. And then this is Elisha's statement in verse 26. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? You know, this phrase sticks out to me in the Bible. You say, what exactly is he saying? Well, if you're a father or you're a mother, and imagine your kids grow up, and then they get in a lot of trouble with the law, and they go to prison, wouldn't you say your heart is broken seeing how your kids have destroyed their life? I mean, my kids are very young. We're not really at that point yet, but I would say this, that if my kids grew up and they became wicked and rebellious kids, it would grieve my heart. My heart would be destroyed. And I would wonder, where did I go wrong? What could I have done? And here's Elisha, the man of God, the spiritual leader. And I love the fact the Bible includes this. And he's saying basically, Gehazi, when you went down that road of sin, you destroyed my heart too. 
See, the Bible says, none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. The actions you do, they affect other people. And what Elisha says is, when you went down that road, you broke my heart too. Look, if you backside from this church and get into sin, I promise you, your pastor and your pastor's wife will grieve over you. It's a fact. Elisha's saying, my heart is grieving because of the choice that you made Gehazi. You say, why would he have that reaction? Because he's emotionally invested in Gehazi. Now look, when we were at this church for three and a half years, people come and people go, right? And as a church member, sometimes it doesn't really matter to you that much because you don't really know someone that well. You're not that close to them. For those that were here during this time period, though, my wife and I, we had a, a, a family that we were very close friends with at this church. And they left the church, and it, quite honestly, it grieved us. It made us very sad because we were close to them. We cared about them. We saw we were trying to help because we saw the signs of what was taking place, and we couldn't do anything, and it grieved our heart. But honestly, it didn't grieve our heart every single time somebody left. But here's the thing. Every time somebody leaves, it grieves your pastor's heart and your pastor's wife's heart. You say, why? Because they are emotionally invested in everybody. And see, as the the leader, the pastor, the pastor's wife, you get invested in people. You pray for them. You care for them. You take them out to eat. You get to know them. And when they go down the wrong road, it destroys you. And Elisha's letting us know, hey, Gehazi, when you went down that road, you also destroyed my heart as well. Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15. But that's not what we remember from the story, is it? What do we remember? Gehazi getting struck with leprosy? I mean, if I were to ask you to recap that story, this is what everybody would say. You know, Naaman gets healed of leprosy. Gehazi tries to steal money or basically lies to get money from Naaman. And what happens? Gehazi gets struck with leprosy by Elisha's pronouncement. That's what we would remember, right? That's what we think about. Turn to 2 Kings 5. It's a great chapter. It's an exciting chapter. And here's the truth. What you remember is Pastor Menes standing behind this pulpit preaching and yelling against sin. What you don't see is his heartbreaking on a daily basis for people that are falling into sin. You don't see that. And look, he, he's probably not going to get up here and tell you but this is true, but it is true. Being honest. I mean, Elisha's telling us this is what takes place. And, and when you hear somebody who's really bold and, and a fiery preacher, you, you kind of feel like nothing ever gets to them down. But, but the reality is when you're a pastor or pastor's wife, you are emotionally invested in the people. And when they go down a road of sin, it also breaks your heart as well. Look, as a parent, sometimes, you know, you got to pronounce judgment on your kids. You got to spank them. You got to discipline them. And here's the thing. It's not fun. And privately, you're probably, you know, weeping over it and mourning if they're falling into sin or doing something wrong. But you have to do what needs to be done. What I'm saying is what you see at this church is your pastor screaming about something and preaching against something. What you don't see is the countless hours behind the scenes of trying to help people. What you don't see is your pastor and your pastor's wife up at 10, 11, 12, and they can't sleep because of an issue at the church. You say, well, Brother Saki, how do you know that? Well, I mean, I just know from experience. (laughs) 
I mean, because there's been times where it's like, I really like to sleep. We got the kids asleep, but it's like there's an issue and, and you're wondering what to do. Now, I mean, it might seem easy. Well, I'll just preach a sermon on it. But, but here's the problem. There's always a lot of issues. And so you got to preach real sermons. You can't just, you know, hit this and hit this and hit this and hit this. There's always things going on. And it's one of the tough things as a preacher. You're trying to figure out what's the proper balance. Because there's always so many things that you need to preach on. And then so many things that you're not aware of. And you find out and it grieves you. It breaks your heart when you're the one leading and you see these problems taking place. And you wonder, what could I have done or what could I do to help in the situation? Now, the reality is, I don't think Elisha did anything wrong. But I am sure that what he was thinking is, what could I have done? What could I have said? Maybe I should have talked to him more about covetousness. Maybe I should have showed him I cared more. Maybe I should have showed I loved him more. You know, you always wonder, what could I have done in the situation? Let me give you another example. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15, this is the story of Samuel and Saul. 1 Samuel 15, verse 35. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 35. And you know, if you know the story, I mean, King Saul, he starts off okay. He starts off good and humble, you know, but, but then all of a sudden he gets very prideful. He gets arrogant. He doesn't obey the voice of the Lord. And then eventually he gets rejected by God. And the Bible says here in 1 Samuel 15, verse 35, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Here's the thing. What we remember is Samuel pronouncing the judgment on Saul, right? Samuel says, you're rejected, you're done. And Samuel seems very mean, right? He seems very fiery. And yet, privately, he's mourning. Privately, he's grieving. Privately, he's sad that Saul has destroyed his life. And Samuel mourns for Saul. And it says, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. You know, what's interesting is when you follow this through the next chapter. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? And God basically says to Samuel, I mean, quit mourning for him. He's done. Get over it. You know, if there's a problem with most pastors that are Uh, you know, on fire for God, it's that they care too much. They love too much. They're compassionate too much, if you understand what I'm trying to say. I mean, here Samuel is being a bit a bit overboard, but that's what you want out of a good pastor, that he cares about people. He cared about Saul. He was emotionally invested. I would say as a leader, if I have a fault, sometimes I'm too nice. Now, I told a semi-joke a couple years ago where I have a goal to start being a lot meaner and ruder, but it wasn't really a joke because sometimes you're too nice and people walk all over you. And Samuel is mourning for Saul. You say, why? Because Samuel was emotionally invested in King Saul. He liked King Saul. He loved King Saul. He cared about King Saul. And it's interesting when you keep reading, it says, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel... Fill thine horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. He's mourning over someone that he says is going to want to kill him. I don't know what it is with King Saul because, you know, you got David and you got Samuel and they both love King Saul, even though King Saul would secretly like to kill them, right? But 
here's this man, King Saul, and Samuel knows if Saul hears about it, he's going to want to kill me. And yet, Samuel's mourning for him. You say, why? Because he's emotionally invested in Saul. He loves Saul. He cared about Saul. You know, perhaps you've had a really close friend and maybe you have an issue or whatever and they end up hating you and getting really mad at you or get it bitter or whatever. But inside, you still care about that person, even though they don't like you, even though they're mad at you. But inside, you're just like you're mourning for them because you want to have that friendship back. That's kind of what you have here with Samuel and Saul. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me show you another example. In the early days of Verity Baptist Church Manila, you know, we were blessed to have in the early days in the, in the mid-20s for our church attendance. We had a group of people that went soul winning and, and were trying to serve God. And, and at this point, we're basically triple the size of what we started with. But we started with a group and, you know, we entered into the labors of other people. They heard the online preaching and we went out there. There was a group of people. And it's a blessing to start with some people. But with more people are more problems. More issues. It's a blessing and it's, it's a curse, right? And so, you know what? We started to have issues in the early days. And you know what? I, I had to work through these issues and preach certain sermons and talk to people and deal with people. And quite honestly, I felt myself struggling to do it. It was hard for me. I mean, I'm just being sincere and honest with you. I, I just wanted to be compassionate and nice. And I would talk to people and try to just gently help them and say, hey, you really shouldn't do that. And it's like, it didn't work. I try to be nice. I try to be nice. I try to be nice, and it's not working. And eventually, you got to just get up and scream about it. Amen. And then what's the reaction? Oh, you're too hateful. Right? It's like, man, I've been mourning for this person, trying to help them, and then they don't get it, and then all of a sudden, I'm the bad guy because you got to deal with it. That's the way it works. But, you know, what was interesting is I was struggling to deal with issues and inside my own head, I kind of wondered, am I really able to do this? Because the thing is, I hear other preachers get up and they deal with issues really boldly and it seems like they have no problems whatsoever. And I kind of wondered, am I really able to do this? Because I don't enjoy dealing with these issues. And it was interesting because I don't know what sermon it was. It was a sermon from a while ago by Pastor Menes. And he talked about in the early days, he kind of felt the same thing when he, had, when he had issues. It was hard to deal with. And it kind of really encouraged me because I realized all these preachers you see get up and scream about issues, it seems like they have no problem doing it, but in reality, they just do what needs to be done. It doesn't mean it was easy. It seems easy to you because, hey, I mean, Elisha's pronouncing leprosy upon someone. But it wasn't easy for Elisha. It wasn't easy for Samuel. They just did what needed to be done. And, you know, honestly, these passages, they opened up to me like never before. And I realized that, hey, you know what? It's not just me. It's not just Pastor Menes. You got Elisha. I mean, Elisha is a pretty good guy to follow. I mean, if he struggled with it, then you know what? I don't think because it, it might look like, well, that looks weak that you can't deal with it. But what it, what it really is, is you actually care about people. You're emotionally invested. Charity believeth all things. Charity suffereth long. And look, I would be happy to have a pastor that, if anything, is too caring and too long-suffering than just to have someone that just doesn't care at all. And see, what you're seeing is that Samuel cares for Saul. What you see is Elisha cares for Gehazi. Let me give you another example in 2 Corinthians 7. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7. And of course, you know, this is kind of a follow-up to 1 Corinthians when, when he wrote the first letter to the church of Corinth. And it says here in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Now you say, what is he saying? Well, he says, first off, the letter is 1 Corinthians. And he's saying the church of Corinth got sorry for the letter of 1 Corinthians. And he says, I do not repent. That is present tense. So he's saying, I wrote the letter, I made the right choice. But he says, I do not repent, though I did repent. And he's saying, in the past, I did repent. What he's basically saying is, when I wrote that letter, I didn't want to do it. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians, it's pretty harsh. I mean, there's so many issues of the church of Corinth, but he's saying, when I wrote it, I didn't really want to do it. I wrote it, and I kind of wondered, did I make the right choice? But he says, now I do not repent. Why? Because they made the change. He says, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. What you're seeing is, Paul the Apostle, he didn't enjoy making people sad. He didn't enjoy pronouncing judgment. He didn't enjoy hurting people's feelings. Look, when I preach sermons and I preach against certain sins or issues and I know it relates to certain people, let me help you out with something when you preach. You see people's faces. Didn't Jeremiah say, be not afraid of their faces? You say, why? I've seen people cry during sermons. I've seen people get angry. You see everything. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Most faces are, are pretty easy to deal with, but when someone is crying, it's tough. You know, you're preaching something that needs to be preached and they get emotional about what you're preaching, but you're saying what needs to be said. And, and, and here's what I'm saying. You know, Paul the Apostle, he preaches a very harsh letter, but privately he didn't really want to do it because he didn't want to hurt people. Look, there's something wrong with you if your goal is to make people cry. You say, Brother Sucky, I want to be a pastor because I want to make as many people cry as possible. I want to make people mad and throw stuff at me. It's like there's something wrong with you. Because if you're a good pastor, then you're actually going to care about your members. And you don't enjoy hurting people's feelings. But it's part of the job. Sometimes you have to say what needs to be said. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. As Pastor Men has mentioned, we have three churches in the Philippines, and the way our churches work, it's a little bit different than maybe a normal schedule. My wife and I, we live in Pampanga. That's the province that she's from. And we have church on Saturdays in Pampanga. You know, we have services on Saturday, two services. We have soul winning. Then on Sunday, I preach the same sermons in Manila. I just don't record the sermons on Saturday. See, the sermons are there from Sunday in Manila. And I preach the midweek service in Pampanga, which if you know anything about traffic in the Philippines, you you can't really drive during the week. It's like driving to San Francisco. So basically, I can't come up for the midweek service on Wednesdays in Manila. It would take like five, six hours or something crazy like that. And so we have a rotating schedule on Wednesdays. Then we have another church down south, basically 10-hour drive away, which is in Bicol. And we got a, a, a man down there by, by the name of Brother Real when who runs a church, and he's doing a great job down there. And like any church, there's issues. Anyway, I, I didn't ask him if I could tell this story, but I think it makes him look great, to be honest, you know, wh- whether you think that or not. I mean, I think it makes him look good. There was a situation that he was struggling to deal with, and I was talking to him about it, trying to help him through it, and eventually he did what needed to be done, and he made this statement to me, two words. He said, it hurts. He said, it hurts. 
You say, why? Because in the situation, he had been soul winning with that person. He had cared for them. He knew their family. He had taken them out to eat. He had helped them with a numerous amount of things. And, 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 and it was tough for him to deal with it. And I think he thought it might, might make him look bad to me. It didn't. Because what I realized is he really cares about his members. Didn't make him look weak to me. It showed me that he actually cares about his members. But he made that statement, it hurts. And this is not something that spiritual leaders are really often going to express. This is probably not a sermon I would preach at, at my church. It's probably not a sermon that Pastor Menes is, is going to preach here, but I'm trying to help you get an inside look and help you realize how much your pastor and your pastor's wife care about you, Amen. how much they love you. I mean, this church started with just a small group of people 13 years ago. And then all these churches have been started as a result. I mean, the, the, this, the, the message and the sermons are being heard by people all over the world. It's helping change lives. But you know what? When you do something like that, there is a lot of pain that comes along the way. I mean, if you say, Brother Stuckey, should I go into the ministry? Look, if you don't desire it, don't do it. You say, why? There's a lot of pain. If you don't have that desire, then I wouldn't do it because it's not easy. It's hard, and it's probably harder than we realize. I mean, and in some ways, you know what? I thought, hey, the persecution, I kind of knew what to expect, you say, because why? Because we all go through persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But you don't really think about the emotional toil it takes on your body. And, I, and I'm being honest. I, I'm including, I'm saying pastor's wife a lot because honestly, I, I think it affects the wives probably more oftentimes. The Bible does say men are, are the stronger vessel, women are the weaker vessel, and that includes emotionally that women are the weaker vessel. And it often really affects the ladies just as much as the husbands when it comes to being a pastor or being a pastor's wife. Number one is the persecution. Number two is the pressure or the care of all the churches, the responsibility. Number three are the problems. Now, I kind of talked about the problems a little bit. But what happens is you often try to work through situations and help people for a while. And I have been guilty of giving people too much of a chance before, or maybe there's not enough evidence, even though I'm pretty sure I know that, you know, what needs to be done. But eventually it reaches the point where it's a problem where you got to kick people out of church. And if you've been at this church before for, for years, you've seen people that have been kicked out. It's not something that's enjoyable. It's not fun to deal with, but it's something that's part of the job. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners with idolaters, for then must he needs go out of the world. But now I have written on you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Look, the Bible speaks about people being kicked out of the local church for certain sins. And look, I mean, this is something that a lot of churches don't do. If you're from another church, it might seem strange to you. You say, but why would you do this? Look, when we've kicked people out in the Philippines, you know what people told me? You know what? If you hadn't kicked them out, I was planning to leave the church. That's what people told me. And here's the reality. If you don't kick out the problems and the bad people, you know what happens? Good people leave. You got to be willing to do that. Now, it's not fun to deal with. 
In the Philippines, it is the only country where divorce is illegal. But here's the thing. That sounds good, but it's not actually good. You know why? Because people are living together that are not divorced with other people. But they feel like they're divorced even though they're not. So what are they living in? Adultery. It's very common in the Philippines. And so I've had to have this conversation with with members of church, and I just told them, this is what the Bible says. We've run into this a lot. Anyway, those are not fun conversations to have because especially in the Philippines, it's confusing to people, and it's so accepted that people think it's okay. And I show them this is actually adultery. It's like, but we're not together anymore. You're not divorced, though. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you, you have to be legally divorced and then remarried. And if you're not, the Bible says it's adultery. Anyway, look, it, it's not easy to sit down and have that conversation and let people know, you know, you got to leave the church. You know, we're kicking you out. Or you've got a couple weeks to make this right, to make your decision, or you've got to leave. But see, eventually what takes place is that if you allow these issues, then people think it's okay. They think it's acceptable. And what ends up happening, it's like the sin of Achan. The whole church is going to be cursed because of that issue. Now, let me, let me explain something to you. It might seem easy to kick people out of church. Let me tell you something. It is not easy. If you are emotionally invested in people at church and you prayed for them and cared for them and tried to help them, it is extremely hard because charity suffereth long. Maybe if I give them one more chance. Maybe if I just try to help them out. But eventually it reaches a point where it's like, you know what? There's been too many chances. And you've got to kick that person out of church. Look, that is never fun to deal with. It's one of the hardest things in the ministry. You got to be thankful you go to a church where pastor deals with things. I mean, look, when I was a member of this church, there were idiots at this church that needed to be kicked out. And if you were with me there at that point, you probably know the main person I'm talking about, right? And it's like, here's the thing, though. If you don't kick out somebody like that, you know what's going to happen? Good people are going to leave. You destroy your credibility. But I will say this. You know why it's tough to kick people out like that? Because that's an example where, you know what, you're, you're kind of glad to see them go. But, 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 but here's the thing. Oftentimes, members never tell you about the issues. It, it's like when, we, when I've kicked people out before, people say, why didn't you kick that person out a long time ago? Because I didn't know about those issues. Why didn't you tell me about it years ago? Right? I mean, I would have dealt with it a long time ago. But people oftentimes, they don't tell you. Look, if you're a church member, you want to help out your pastor and pastor's wife, if there's a major, major issue with someone, tell them. And by you covering up for them, it's not helping them. Because the guy in 1 Corinthians, he gets it right. But you know what he needed? Some tough love. And that's what people need sometimes. They don't need you to be accepting of their sin. It would be like, for example, if someone's a drunk walking around, you know, a homeless person, and they ask for money, hey, here's $20. And you know what they're going to buy with it. You're not helping them. You say, well, I'm helping them not starve. You know, you're helping them be a drunk. That's reality. And look, if somebody is causing major problems at this church, don't gossip to other people, because this is what people do. They tell their best friend at church. But my best friend would never tell anybody. And then that person tells their best friend at church. And then everybody knows about it. And then all of a sudden, pastor finds out about it. It's like half the church knows. And everybody's afraid to approach the pastor about it. Look, I know that from personal experience where there's issues. And it's like, man, why didn't anybody tell me? 
And then once they told me, it's like I dealt with it, right? But kicking people out of church is not easy because charity believeth all things. You want to give them a chance. Maybe they didn't mean to do it. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe they misunderstood. Maybe things are kind of lost in, in, you know, basically the translation of people saying this, or maybe they said that maybe it's a little bit off the story. Charity suffers long. Charity believeth all things. But eventually you have to do what needs to be done. Now go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. You know what you do as a pastor and a pastor's wife? You watch. You say, what do you mean? You watch for people that are problems. Now, I don't know who Pastor Menez is watching at right now. I promise you he is, though. That's reality. I mean, sometimes at least what I do is like when there's an issue, I, I write it down. I don't want to forget about this because in the future I might need it. Now, I don't know who those people are, but here's what I'll say. It's like, you know what, you know, when you're a church member, because in some ways, you know, if you work a secular job, you might feel like, man, if I just worked in the ministry, I would just always be happy and no problems. But let me help you out with something. When you work a secular job and you're, you vex your conscience, you're so happy to be in the house of God. It's so different than being in the world. But when you work full time in the ministry, you don't get the same feeling. You say, why? Because you're kind of always dealing with church stuff. Yeah, you know, in some ways, I really miss that feeling of walking in. No major responsibilities. I'm so happy to be here. You just don't get the same feeling. And you know what? I, I know you can't necessarily fully comprehend this, but it's the truth. We had a guy who worked for a church for a couple months in Manila because he was in between jobs. And he told me, he's like, you know what? I really enjoyed the events more before I worked for the church. But now that I'm doing the events, it's like I'm responsible. I just can't have as much fun. And see, you're going to love the Sweetheart Banquet and the activities that are around here. But you know what? When you're actually the one doing it, it it's like oftentimes so much responsibility, you get stressed out. You oftentimes don't get the same sense of enjoyment. What I'm trying to do is help you appreciate your pastor and your pastor's wife and realize the sacrifices they're making to make this the best church. Amen. To make this church different. I mean, if you've been on vacation and you visited other Baptist churches, it's a shock to your system. You've been here so long, you're like, what is this? I I remember I visited an independent fundamental Baptist church near my parents, you know, uh, I I guess four years ago when when I I visited back back here. And, you know, I visited and on the website, it, 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 it seemed fine. It seemed okay. And I showed up and it's like a praise and worship service. I'm just like, this is an independent fundamental Baptist church. And the person beside me realized I was upset. He's like, well, here's what we have. We have, you know, the, 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 the first service is kind of to reach the younger people. We have the old-fashioned one for the second service. I just walked out. It's just a waste of my time. Look, this church is different than the other churches in this area. Amen. Not the same. It's not close. I mean, it's not really a joke. I mean, it's literally a 15-minute sermon with no verses. I've been at church before, and independent fundamental Baptist churches were zero verses. Zero were used during the sermon. I mean, literally, I sat through a sermon. It was about Abraham Lincoln. It's like, I mean, I know the Civil War is big in West Virginia, but I mean, come on. Literally, zero verses in the sermon. Look, appreciate the sermons that you have here. 
It, it takes a lot of time. For those men that have preached before, you, re, you realize it takes a lot of time to prepare sermons. You don't just get up here and just, well, let me just kind of wing it and see how it goes. Look, your pastor puts in a ton of time into the sermons. Anyway, sometimes when you're at church, you reach a point where you have problems where you have to kick people out of church. This is never easy to deal with, but notice what it says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, and, and I want you to understand, I'm preaching on, on different things, but in Matthew 18, this is not the only situation of how church discipline is done. It is one example to look at here, though. And in Matthew 18, verse 15, <clears throat> Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. You know what? When you're dealing with issues at church and you are the final authority on issues, it's very hard to pronounce a guilty sentence. You say, why? Because that's their last chance. See, if you're a member, you're not the one who has to say guilty. You're out of church. If you're the one that has that decision to make, it's kind of hard to just... Go with it unless you're completely sure. And it's never easy because you want to give people a chance. You're, you're hoping they'll turn around. And, and here's the thing. Is there an avenue coming back to church? In some situations, yes. Not in all situations. We've had people that have been kicked out of our church. They are never welcome back at our church in the Philippines, ever, no matter what. But sometimes there is an avenue to come back. But here's the thing. Here's reality. If you kick somebody out of church, you know what the chances of them coming back are? Probably not that high. What's more likely is they get bitter and they attack the church. Now, sometimes there's an avenue to come back. I'm just saying it's not that likely. And here's the thing. When you tell someone they're out of church, you realize we're probably not going to see this person again. Now, it's what needs to be done. But, but, but here's what I love. Notice what it says in verse number 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, when I've had to make difficult decisions, I've wondered, did I handle it correctly? Should I have done things differently? Was I too early? Was I too late? You know what's comforting to me is that God says, whatsoever's bound on earth is bound in heaven. What's he saying? You made the decision, I'll honor it. God supports the man of God that makes the decision. And if you decide to loose it on earth, we're going to allow somebody to come back. It's loosed in heaven. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, that's a very comforting thing because you don't always know if you make the right choice, if you handle things perfectly. But God says, you know what? I'm going to honor the decision from the man of God. If it's bound on earth, it's bound in heaven. If it's loosed on earth, it's loosed in heaven. Go in your Bible to number 16. Number 16. Number chapter 16. Point number one is the persecution. That's probably the easiest of these four points. Point number two is the pressure, the daily care, getting emotionally invested in people. That's a lot tougher. Point number three is the problems where you have to eventually kick people out of church. That's even harder. But you know, that's not the worst. The persecution is rough, the daily pressure, the problems. But lastly, partition. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Partition means division. And what I'm saying is you kick people out of church 
and God honors your decision, but you know what doesn't always happen? People at church honor the decision. There's a partition where some people agree and some disagree. Well, even brother so-and-so is so nice, even though you don't know the facts. But brother, brother so-and-so is so nice, they invited us over. Sister so-and-so is so nice. You don't know the information, you don't know the facts, and you stand in judgment. Wouldn't it be foolish if there was a court case, someone on trial for murder, and you didn't know the situation, and the only person you talked to was the person who's on trial, and he says, hey, I didn't do it, I've been framed, and you just said, hey, he's innocent. There's a video of him committing the murder. He's innocent. It's just like, are you insane? But see, that takes place at the local church. You kick people out of church, God honors the decision, and then you have people at church that don't agree with the decision. People at church that are against you. You've been emotionally invested in people. You've prayed for them. You've invited them out, tried to help them. You've preached sermons where you don't make it obvious who you're talking about, but you're trying to help in a loving way, and they disregard it, and you finally reach the point where you overcome the problems to basically kick them out and do what you need to, to do, even though it's hard, and then people criticize you for your decision. And it's just like, man, do you realize how hard it was for the pastor to make that decision? But then there's also the other side. Well, you should have kicked him out a long time ago. It's like, well, why don't you stand up here and make all the decisions? Do you think it's easy to do this? Do you think it's easy to be the, the one? Because it's not really a situation of a jury where 12 people decide or whatever. I mean, it's one person that makes the final decision. You hear the evidence and you make the decision. You realize that's not easy to do? Look, if people get kicked out of church, and when I was here, people got kicked out, and I didn't always know all the facts. But you know what I did? I believe that Pastor Men has made the right choice. Anyway, you support the man of God in situations. And that doesn't just go for Pastor Men. Any godly pastor, situations that happen, I don't know about. You know what? I support what the pastor does. I support the man of God where if it's bound on earth, it's bound in heaven. Hey, if one day a pastor minute says, you know what, we're going to give somebody another chance. Hey, what's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. But what people do is they get mad about it. Then they start gossiping to other people. Wow, I think pastor should have been more loving. I think he should have been more caring. I think he should have given them another chance. It's like, why don't you just get on board with what the church does? But that's not what happens. And if you've been here when people got kicked out, you've seen that before. Then you have people that are disgruntled. And you know what takes place for people that are still disgruntled? It's like, just leave. It's better off without you. If you're not on board with the church, I mean, either get in or get out. And look, I get it. Sometimes the person who gets kicked out, they were your friend. They were someone you cared about. Somebody leaves a church that you love and you care about. I get that. It's hard. It's not easy. We've had people that have left our church in the Philippines or people that got kicked out and other people, it was tough for them because they were friends with them. It's hard. And I know it's hard for you. It's hard for all of us. But it's always hard for the pastor and the pastor's wife. I hope you realize that. You're not always emotionally invested in the situations. Your pastor and your pastor's wife are always emotionally invested. But if you don't know about the situation, then just support the pastor. Stand by his decision. Bible says in number 16, verse 28. You say, why, Brother Stucky? Look, there, there was a situation of someone that we kicked out in the Philippines. And you know what? 
people didn't really know the main issue. I made a, I made a video about it. You know, some of you have probably seen the video I made. I made that purpose to just let everybody know about all the stuff that had happened. And I, I, I can't really imagine a case that is more just two plus three equals five. And there were still people that said, I don't know if Brother Sucky should have done that. I'm just thinking, do you want us to just accept a bunch of serial killers and weirdos at our church? I mean, what, what's wrong with you? But there's always going to be people that are just too loving. Isn't that what they say? They're too loving. I would never do that. I have too much compassion to do that. Why don't you just stand by your pastor and the decisions that he makes? Number 16, verse 28. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. And this is a situation where you have the rebellion of Korah against Moses. You've got a group of people that are against Moses, And Moses is basically saying in verse 29, if someone dies of old age or they die just kind of a normal death, then you know what? Then the Lord hath not sent me. And what he's saying is God is going to make a special situation to prove who's right in this situation. Verse 30, but if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. So basically, God created basically like a mini earthquake to just destroy all the bad people. Verse 33, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. I mean, it looks like that God is standing behind Moses. Pretty clear cut. Drop down to verse 41. This verse, I laugh when I read this. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron saying, ye have killed the people of the Lord. It's like, what? You're going to blame Moses. You're going to blame Aaron. I mean, does he have the ability to create an earthquake and kill a bunch of people? And they blame him when it's Korah's fault. It's the men of rebellion and they got what they deserve. It's obvious that God did this and it's like, you have killed the people of the Lord. Anyway, that's the way you feel sometimes in ministry. You deal with issues. It's obvious who's right. And then people are like, you know what? You should have been more loving. You should have given them another chance. Why didn't you just preach a sermon to help? Let me help you out with something. When you preach a sermon to help someone dealing with an issue, you know what takes place? They don't listen to what you say and it helps other people. That's what takes place. It drives me crazy. If I were to get up here right now and preach a sermon about reading the Bible, you know what would take place? People that already read the Bible would say, thank you very much, I needed that sermon. People that don't read the Bible, they would not start reading the Bible. And if you don't read the Bible on a daily basis, get right with God. Read there in all the days of thy life. But that's a fact. That's the way it works. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something you should know, but you don't, it, you, until you experience it in the ministry, I think, man, there's this issue. I preach on it. It's going to be solved, right? Nope. And what's amazing is sometimes the same person will come to you saying, hey, great sermon, and they don't change anything. It's like, did you not understand the sermon? Right? But they say you have killed the people of the Lord. Go to Hebrews 13. We'll close up. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. 
And you just, despite all this, you know what you see in Moses? You see a man that is always just begging for mercy for these rebellious people before God. Did you know that's what your pastor's like? Did you know that's what your pastor's wife is like? I mean, you have people that, you know, don't listen to anything you say. They don't apply it. They cause problems, but you still care about them. You still want to help them out. And then these same people are just criticizing Moses. He's always begging for mercy for the people. Now, I'll be honest. I don't think I would have as much mercy and compassion as Moses. But that's the way Moses is in the Bible, even with these rebellious people. Look, we saw, number one, the persecution that comes on the pastor and the pastor's wife. Number two, the pressure, the daily care and responsibility. Number three, the problems. Number four, the partition that takes place where you kick somebody out and then people are not on board with you. I mean, you think you're done with the issue. You've dealt with something, you kick somebody out, and then you're not done because there's still people at church that don't agree with the decision. But you say, Brother Stuckey, yeah, that might be true, but why should I care? That's part of his job. What difference does it make? I have my stresses in my job, he has his. What difference does it make whether or not he's struggling with these things? I mean, that's, that's his job, that's what he signed up for. Well, you know, if that's your attitude, number one, that's a horrible attitude. But if that's your attitude, let me give you a verse of why you should actually care about this. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Now, when the Bible is saying obey them that have the rule over you, it's referring to spiritual leadership. Now, of course, you know, when it comes to obeying the spiritual leadership, it's not saying, hey, you know what? I want to get a blue car, but pastor says it should be red, so I need to obey him. You know, the Bible says you don't lord over God's heritage. You have your personal life and you make your own choices. Pastor preaches against rock music. You can go home and listen to the devil's music if you want. But inside the house of God, obey them that have the rule over you. They make the decisions they're the ones that run this. I mean, pastorman is the one who runs it. You, you follow what the pastor says. You obey them that have the rule over you. And it says, and submit yourselves. You willingly put yourself underneath. You say, but I'm right and he's wrong. Is that your attitude when you go to work? Because it's funny, people would never do this at a secular job. But yet they do it inside a church. The Bible says, submit yourself. Even if you think you're right, even if you are right, it doesn't make a difference. You submit yourself. Why? Because pastor makes the decisions underneath the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way it works. That's like a dictatorship. Yes, one man running the show that makes the decisions. Right? I remember one, one person we kicked out in the Philippines, he, he, he called me a, a dictator. And he said, you know, Brother Sucky's making all the decisions. He's running. It's not right. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, do you know anything about the Bible? The Bible speaks about one person running, which is, was obvi- has obvi- obviously been underneath Pastor Jimenez in the church we have in the Philippines. But it's like, that's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach some deacon board or, or elder committee. right? You know, I remember hearing an old story of Jack Hiles where when he first started pastoring, you know, the church that was in, uh, I guess, him in Indiana, First Baptist Church, where there was like a, the church was set up with like a deacon committee or something. And, and he said that, you know, some, one of the deacons came to him and said, hey, you know, we want to have a meeting about your preaching, you know, on, on Thursday night. And he's like, okay, great. And then all of a sudden Thursday night comes around, he doesn't show up. And then the deacon talks to him at church saying, 
I, I thought we had agreed we had a meeting. He's like, hey, you can discuss my preaching as much as you want, but I'm not going to show up for it. I say, why? Because you don't need approval in the sermons you preach. You don't need to get approval. Hey, I want to preach this sermon against this, but you know, am I allowed? Will the church members let me? It doesn't work that way. And the Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Go willingly underneath, like a submarine goes under the water. For they watch for your souls. Did you know that when your pastor kicks somebody out of church, it's in order to protect the flock? It's in order to help you. You kick out the problem to protect the rest of the body. Now look, when a body part, let's say you know you have a major health problem and you have to remove a body part or have a major surgery, look, that's never fun to go through. But if that spares the rest of the body, it's worth it. And if one member goes down the wrong road and they have to be gotten rid of and that spares the rest of the body and it stays a zealous church that's soul winning, then it's worth it and the job was done that needs to be done. And the Bible says, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. But notice this, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. You see, here's the thing. When you have a bunch of rebellious people, you know what happens? The leader serves with grief, bothers him. It upsets him. If you're a father or mother, you can probably understand this. I mean, you invest your time and your heart and your energy into your kids. And if they go down the wrong road, what happens? You're grieved. But when your kids are doing what's right, what takes place? You have great joy. You want to invest more energy and more time. Why? Because you're seeing that they're obeying and listening. It makes you happy. And here's the thing. When you're at a church and people are rebellious against the leadership, you know what takes place? The leadership will serve out of grief instead of with joy. You say, well, once again, Brother Stuckey, what difference does that make to me? That's his job. Well, notice the end of the verse. For that is unprofitable for you. You know what the Bible is saying? That when your pastor is serving with grief and your pastor's wife has grief over issues at the church, it doesn't profit the members. What profits you is a pastor that's serving with joy. And happiness. You say, why? Because if they're serving with joy, they'll invest more of their energy and more of their time. I'll give you an example of this. I remember one time in the Philippines, I I'd preached several sermons that I thought could help different people with issues. And one right after another didn't listen at all. It's like people that ask for advice for me or for my wife. I preached a sermon. I mean, I showed everything. And then they just did the exact opposite of what I said. And it's kind of like, what's the point? I mean, I, literally, the, the, the foolish thought went into my head. Does it really matter what I say behind the pulpit? It's like I spent hours and hours, and they did the opposite anyway. And, and, and what happens is it makes you sad. It makes you grieve. It's like, what's the purpose? Now, it's a foolish thought because right after that, I saw several people actually listen to the advice that I gave in sermons. And sermons do change lives. But I'm just saying, when you see people rebel and not listen to the advice and not follow instructions, try to do things their own way, you know what happens as a leader? It grieves you. It makes you upset. And the result is, it is unprofitable for the members. But you know what profits you? When you have a pastor and a pastor's wife that are serving and leading with joy. 
and you take part of that. If you cause a bunch of problems at this church, they're not going to be serving with joy. It's not going to make them happy. It's going to grieve them. And look, this is a great church. I'm not coming here saying you guys are rebellious and horrible. I don't even know. I'm sure there are issues in the church. There always are. But I don't know all those issues at this point. I don't have any hidden information. But you have a pastor and a pastor's wife that love you. They care about you. God laid it on the heart of Pastor Mendez to start a church specifically here in Sacramento, California. This church started with just a small, very small group of people. I mean, I'm sure, you know, other Baptist churches would have said, you're never going to be running, you know, a bunch of people. It's like, look at you meeting in a living room. You just got 10 people. And then it gets to 30. And then it gets to 50. It reaches a point where they have to start lying about how many people you have. Right? Your pastor and your pastor's wife have invested their life and their energy into this church. And you might not realize it, but there is emotional pain and problems that come with running a church. And it's hard to fully relate to. I don't know if I've properly expressed this, but this is what you feel sometimes in the ministry. Being in the ministry is a great joy. It's a great blessing. But you know, it also comes with a lot of pain. And what I would say to you as members, appreciate your pastor. Love your pastor. Get on board with the programs of the church. You say, well, I don't agree with everything. You know what? I was at old IFB churches where I was on the bus routes helping, and I didn't agree with all those ministries either. And if there's a ministry here you don't fully agree with, just get on board. Don't cause problems. You're not the one running the show. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself. You say, why? Because it will be profitable for you with a pastor and a pastor's wife that are serving and leading with joy. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today and I ask you to help us to just apply this sermon to our lives. Help everyone here just understand the difficulties with being in the ministry. Help them to love Pastor Menez and his wife and, 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 and help everyone just to try to follow your word and do right, God. And, and, and thank you for just the 13 years of ministry that you've blessed you know, this church with and, and that there will continue to be many years of great ministry and, and new adventures in the future. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matt, let's grab our saw books and turn to page number 119. Saw number 119.